The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our online listeners this morning as well as our local folks. We are starting a brand new series. It's called Identity in Finances. Someone please tell us the seven areas of life. I'll give you the first one. Spiritual. Financial. Financial. Social. Social. Psychological. Psychological. Physical. Physical. Parental. Parental. And marriage. So we have covered all of them, and if you're just fresh member to our online school, they're all posted, and you can go and listen to each of the messages on the seven areas of life that we've already covered. So we have financial, parental, and marital remaining. And today we start our series on finances. Now, the reason why I put finances before marriage and parenting is you're going to actually see in here in today's message that um, it is wise to cover the area of finances before you talk about relationships and human relationships. For example, one of the most common reasons in America, anyway, for divorce is finances. So yes, finances and marriages go together. The, the number one issue in parenting in America today is, take a guess. Money. Lack of money. Spoiled children, indulging children, which is connected to money. So if you are one of those families and you're listening, and particularly a head of a home is listening to this message, you're going to discover something, and that is if your focus is raising more money, having two, three jobs in order to care for your children, in order to care for your wife, in order to care for your family, you're being deceived. We were watching Undercover Boss the other night, and I'm actually going to mention the company that we were watching since it obviously went public. But the CEO of TaylorMade, it's a golf company, he said, made this comment. He said, I go in early and I quit at five. He said, I've come to realize if a man can't be finished with his work by five, the job is too big for him. Now there's a man that has been in the CEO world, I think it was 30, 30 some years that he had this particular job, and he came to realize that working to 8, 9, 10 at night, it never got done. There's always more. But going in early and cutting it off at 5, whatever is there is going to be there in the morning. Now whether he's an indwelt Christian or not, he's learned a biblical principle. You don't go get another job and another job to try to get more money 
to come in so that you can actually stabilize the family. It creates indulgent children. We're going to talk about that a lot. But that's just a sample of what finances have to do with parenting. So today's message is number 54. Those of you who are tracking this, this series, identity series, this is number 54, Introduction to Identity in Finances. I'm going to give you some quotes of some worldly people and then one that's not so worldly. The first one comes from Steve Jobs. Who is Steve Jobs? The creator of Apple. Is he a thousandaire? Is he a millionaire? Well, he's nothing now. He's dead. <laughs> is he a billionaire? He was. Do you know how much a hundred billion dollars is? More than I can spend. It's more than he can spend. Here's his quote. Bottom line is, I didn't return to Apple to make a fortune. I've been very lucky. Really? I've been very lucky in my life and already have one. When I was 25, my net worth was 100 million or so. I decided then that I wasn't going to let it ruin my life. There's no way you could ever spend it all, and I don't view wealth as something that validates my intelligence. Now, I'm aware of a interview. It's spoken of a little bit in his book, the book he wrote, but there's more to the story even to what they put in the book. But his natural born daughter, her mother finally confessed when she was 18 years of age who her father was. It was Steve Jobs. She tracked him down and he thought this was just some kind of public you know, scam to try to get at his money until he got a call from her mother. So he finally agreed to have a luncheon with his daughter. Her daughter genuinely wanted nothing to do with his money. He, she just wanted relationship. As the story goes, he heard her out and after she was done sharing her heart of missing out on her father all these years, his reply was, all you want is my money. I will never speak to you again. Cut her off. Now she's still alive. She's still out there walking around trying to figure out what that luncheon was all about. You see, it did control his life. It did control his intelligent decisions. It did, con it, he, he was not, yes, admitting that he wasn't able to spend all his money. You have to ask the question, where is his money then? Because he literally cut off the inheritance lineage. And now it's going to end up in charities and nonprofits that may or may not necessarily make a difference in the world. Steve Jobs, even by his fellow associates, before he died, 
after he wrote the book, and then even after he died, was considered the most selfish man they'd ever met in their lives. That's what money will do for you. Another quote from Benjamin Franklin, my least most favorite guy in all of history. But I wanted to give you a quote from him. Money has never made man happy, nor will it. There's nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. How truthful is that statement? It's very true. How wealthy was Benjamin Franklin? <laughs> it's, it's a good sign when you have one of the bills named after you. He was the same status of Steve Jobs. Now, he ended with pretty good summarization what money cannot do for you. But we still have to say, but he had all the money. Of course he could say that. Our next quote comes from Forbes, and he says, Real riches are the riches possessed inside. You've heard of Fortune 500? Okay, that's who this is. And he has come to, even though I have heard that he is a Christian, not sure exactly what that means, but here he comes to this point and says, you know, basically I've tasted of the great wealth and realized that what comes from out there cannot make you content in here. It's what's inside that can make the man content. It is interesting, this is what I'm pointing out to, to each of our listeners, is that the principles stated in the Bible on finances work for the unsaved and the saved. You can come to the exact same conclusion that Jesus Christ tried to deliver to the rich man. But there's one piece these people are not talking about. If you're rich, you're not going to heaven. And if you are rich and you are going to heaven, you are a very rare person. Can the rich get into heaven? Yes. Why does Jesus, a minimum of ten times, warn the people of the world that rich people can't make it into eternal life? I'm going to show you today exactly why. Another gentleman said, So you think that money is the root of all evil? Have you ever asked what is the root of all money? And then there's this guy that says, he who rules the money rules the world. Some guy by S.R. Finney. Oh, I'm about to look <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I needed something down there to set me off to my next slide. But I do believe that. Whoever this person is, they're correct. See, they're coming to the exact same position, question that demands an answer. Well then, who 
is at the root of money. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 19.24 says, Again I say to you, no, this is not in your notes, sorry. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to get through what? Than it is for a Someone please explain to us why he's saying this. This is Jesus Christ, your husband. This is Jesus Christ, your savior. This is Jesus Christ, your redeemer. Why would he say this? I was going to gather all of the statements from the Old and New Testament numerically to share with you this morning. But it's in the thousands of references of God's wealth. There are tremendous warnings about gold and riches will become worthless in the end times. People are buying up gold and silver by the pounds because they believe that this collapse in the economy globally is going to happen. You now have advertisement and very successful magazines on purchasing gold and silver, whereas just 15, 20 years ago, you were a crazy radical to buy gold and silver. You were paranoid. You were whatever. That is not the thought of society today. But even with that, the scriptures tell us that there shall come a day where gold and silver shall be worthless. piece of bread will buy a bag of gold. What's going on here in regard to this wealth thing being such a significant thing in the word of God? Well, I want to read a passage out of Luke 12. He said, and he told them a parable, saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Oh, I'm sorry. You have fed such prosperity in your fields that you've never been put in a position of having to build a grain bin to start storing up. As Jenny just mentioned in the, in the story of the rich man that Jesus was addressing, he was telling him to empty out his, his grain bins and sell them. And the rich man's response is, you have no idea how many grain bins I have. You have no idea how big my savings account is. You have no idea, young lady, how many billions of dollars I have, do you? The way you find a man in his position, in his heart, is through the position the man takes with his finances. That's how you find out. Jesus knew that with this wealthy man. We're seeing the story repeated here. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. 
Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What do you think God's attitude is on trying to replicate the structure of heaven? He's not fond of it. Are there passages in the Word of God where God says he has storage bins, storage barns? Yes, there are. Storehouse of God. In Malachi, the famous passage in Malachi, chapter 2, where it talks about finances, where it talks about tithing. Bring your tithe into the Lord's storehouse. It's been interpreted that that is the physical church and their bank account. That is not what he is saying. So Satan is replicating the structure that is in heaven to put it on earth. And it becomes offensive to God. So for God to say to these rich people, you're not coming into my eternity. Unless you pass this test I'm going to put in front of you. Empty your grain bins, sell it off and give it to the poor. You pass that test, I'll let you in. And this passage goes on and says, But God said to him, you precious little child, I love you so much. Is that what he says? What does he say? You fool. Do you realize that fool is the absolute worst thing you can call someone in the Word of God? Raka means you fool. A fool is someone who doesn't think they're going to hell, but they are. And Jesus putting in that statement in Matthew chapter 5 where it says, Those of you who say Raka are guilty enough to burn in the fiery pit of hell. Jesus is actually taking it one step further and saying, To be a fool is like going to the fiery pit. So for him to say rich people don't make it into heaven because they're fools... He's kind of serious. Can you imagine every single hour, every single minute, every single second that Steve Jobs was obsessed about growing his company or growing his wallet? What he has today. Not only can he not spend it, God only knows where it's being spent. So to evaluate the man's full life is dependent upon evaluating his wallet. Let's go on with our passage. God says, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. You're going to die. And now who will own what you prepared? See, he spent his entire life wanting to stabilize his future so he doesn't have to worry about God providing for him in the later years because I did. I provided that stability. 
So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is, is not rich toward God? Richness from your perspective of turning around and going, I have four grain bins. It'd be nice to have ten, but I got four. See, there's always more one, another grain bin. If I put four up, I can get five. I can get six. I can get seven. Meanwhile, they come up with this emergent statement. I'm doing it for God. So I have more money that I can give away to God's mission. Really? It doesn't work that way. Rich people are some of the stingiest, selfish people on the earth. You would think because they are billionaires that they would be known for giving freely. That is not how it goes. Are there billionaires like that? Of course there are. But that isn't how it works. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It doesn't work that way. And that is what God is telling this guy. The thought of his soul being required of God that day didn't enter his mind. That he's going to have to deal with the ultimate creator someday who gave him everything spiritually, psychologically, physically to put those four grain bins up. Now he's going to die tonight. And where's the corn going to go? It's going to mold up and die. And you didn't help one of my poor people who shall inherit the earth. He goes on, and he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storehouse, no barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than these birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan. And then you cannot do even a very little thing. Why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You men of little faith. And do not seek what you will eat, nor what you will drink, nor what you will keep, and do not keep worrying. For all these things... The nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money belts which do not wear out, and unfailing treasures in heaven, 
where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is. There's so many principles packed into this one passage, it would take us weeks to meditate on. That's exactly what we're going to do. Here's one thing that I do know. I've been a discipler slash counselor for many years. This topic has entered every single case I have ever worked on. At the root of people's problems is usually a fear of not having money or a fear of what money is doing to us. The root of all evil. Jesus is talking about an individual here who has worked very hard, most likely, been very responsible, cutting corners properly, putting investments in proper places so that they could be prepared if something happened to them and they could not work. This is a responsible thinker. Do you understand? I am not talking about someone who's just constantly spending every dollar that enters their pocket. This is a responsible person. And God called him a what? You see, the most common thing to do with wealthy people is don't take their money. The most string-attached donors there are are the wealthy. The lower you are on the social ladder, usually the less strings are on that gift. Remember, honey, the guy that slid the $10,000 check in front of me after a session? And said, fix my family? He ended up in prison two years later. I slid that, turned it around, saw the large check, and do you think that my fleshly mind was saying, wow, I could live off this for a half a year. Isn't there something good we can do with that? Yeah. I turned the check around. I slid it back in front of him. We were literally in a penthouse suite in in downtown uh, Denver. Slid that check in front of him, and I said, from this day forward, your counseling is donation-free. I will not take money from you. He was just fine. He was embarrassed. He was whatever. He was used to buying his way through life. That's because of what Jesus was saying here. These wealthy people that you're striving to be like are not pleasing to God. They're not happy people. Do realize the power that money has over the human mind. Do you know I can wave $100 in front of you and activate stuff in your mind that you have been fighting for years? Oh, here's another statistic coming up in next week's lesson. But this may not surprise you. It does surprise a lot of people. 
But rich people get more free things than poor people do. Rich people get free lunches more than poor people do. Is there something wrong with this picture? Rich people rarely have to pay for treats. But see, that's the principle. God can, God can get you a yacht for a day. God can get you a, a mountain cabin. God can get you a... You see what I mean? God can do anything He wants. He can use the wealth. And there is actually a verse that says God uses the wealth He for His children to build them up. So whether it's just a day on a yacht, a little cabin retreat for a weekend, or someone paying your trip to go to a foreign country to bless a bunch of orphans, there's a reason and a purpose behind how God uses money. Satan is the author of subliminals. Do you have to see these things and identify them before they have an effect on you? No. So how would you get someone no longer to react to a particular symbol so you can put the symbol out on your sign and have thousands if not millions of people drive by the sign and no longer react to the symbol? Secondly, what, what would be something that the enemy could put in the hands of people that they look at, that they touch? Some people, believe it or not, even smell money. Every day, all day long. You ask your average participant in a survey, Christians, indwelt Christians or Christ followers, whoever, and the symbol they will pick on is the pyramid. It's been talked about enough that people go, there's something not right about that pyramid being on the American dollar bill. They don't know what to do with it after that, but I mean, I heard something about the Latin underneath that thing. It's got something to do with world order or something. That is nothing compared to what's on both sides of this bill. I've studied thoroughly every American bill there is. The higher you go, the more Masonic symbols are on them. The lower you go, the basic doctrines are on them. I want to show you just a classic example of that. Up here in the corner of the dollar bill is this tiny engraved symbol that is an owl. Your eye can't see it. Pull out a dollar bill and try to find it. This is under a microscope. Blow it up a little bit and it even becomes more obvious. Where does it come from? It comes from this symbol that I've showed you that the Druids came up with to describe the primary symbolic doctrines of Satan. The breast of Satan. 
the private part of Satan, makes up of this owl. If you turn it upside down, turn the bill upside down, and it is literally a skull. Skull and bones. If you don't know who the skull and bones are, skull and bones is a fraternity of the Masons that control money worldwide. That's just one of the items. So this first symbol on the front of the dollar bill is a hidden micro dot of an owl. This owl presents the false identity of Moloch, name of an ancient god called Satan. Why? Why do this to our dollars, our currency? Well, there's a reason. That's just the American dollar bill, and there's a lot more on it, by the way. You say, well, people will never figure that out. You want to bet your mind is so fast, you can look at something and go, something's not right here. I'm not sure what it is, but it's just not right. You've got to understand how subliminals work. They're all there, but you don't remember them. You're not focusing on them. That's the power of subliminals. Who cares if you can see them? He cares that they're making a difference. I just wanted to show you a sample that is available to us. So when it comes to in God we trust, which God is this they're talking about? As I heard from a converted Mason recently, that would be the great architect. They carefully scripted this. Do you understand this? This is not accidental. The artist who is carving the plates carefully is taking the artist's work, working with people who are managing the symbol because they can manage the money. So Jesus said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. For our reading benefit, we could easily say that money falls on the just and the unjust. Those who submit to justice and those who do not submit to justice. So rich people could be into all believers or not. As we look around at the end times, we see an entire world prospering, but only for a season. As with all spoiled children, people of the world only focus on others to get what they want in order to spend it on their own pleasures. You see, the reason why that it blesses me so much to watch Malami and this whole mission that she has and how compelled she is to take beads and to take donations for these beads so that she can give this, this funding to orphans. When there's two things we are required to take care of as indwelt Christians, what are they? Widows and orphans. I know she has the attention of God. 
I know God's going to prosper her. But if she switches it and starts hiring supercharged marketing people to build this big ministry, Beads of Hope can go as emergent as World of Hope. You see? So to protect her mind, to protect her theology, to, to protect her, her heart of giving is absolutely crucial, or at least it should be for her parents. Because they're being lied to if they think that their precious little daughter can't go emergent on them. Satan is not going to sit back and let this young lady prosper because of God. He won't. Your clear thinking in finances does not mean you have a clear pathway to Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. That's not the test. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive. Because you ask with the wrong motives. So that you may Spend it on your own pleasures. I'm telling you, if, if you don't see it, I pray that you do see it because this is the greatest challenge of all Christians. It's so easy to want to take that resource and spend it on your own pleasures. I've never done that, of course, but I mean others. Are you kidding? It is the vulnerability for all of us. So you're not evil if you do it. You're just being reminded by God if you're doing it. Typically, God avoids supporting anything that gets in the way of true dependence on Him. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Have you ever met anyone? And this is kind of actually rhetorical, but have you ever met anyone that made a radical decision, maybe even criminal, and they say something like, boy, God was with me when I was, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was reading a testimony in a world magazine of a guy that is suing because he went to steal from a pizza place and all the employees decided to take him down. And he was all upset and he was going to sue, sue the pizza company for $250,000. Because the employees poured hot soup on him and did whatever it is they had to do to get control of this guy because they were just protecting their owner's assets. And he's all upset because he's got burns and, you know. It's like, the, it's like that thief in California that sued the owners because he tripped down the stairs, coming down the stairs with a handful of goods. And he won the lawsuit. Wow. Yeah, that's good justice for you. But see, you see these people prospering. Just or unjust, the principles work. The... The Queen James? Oh, you. Yesterday morning, the newest Bible by the creators of the NIV 
is now the Queen James Bible. I am shocked I did not get an email on that one. The cross is the, is the, is the rainbow. The cross is, is the color of the rainbow. And the Bible itself just is white, and it says Queen James Version on the front, and on the side, the cross is the rainbow. God is calling each of his children to call upon him and he will deliver according to his divine truth and will. Ephesians 6.12 says that believers are being awakened to the reality that their fight in life is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers of darkness, dark places. When I look at the symbols on simply a dollar bill that is going to be spent by me. I can't reject the dollar bill because of what I found on the dollar bill because I'm literally going to throw myself into starvation. That's the moral dilemma we have in front of us that has to be dealt with. Is this paper evil? Some say yes. In fact, there were 3,400,000 plus that said this was evil when I Googled it. It's not evil. It's the love of it that is evil. We have to talk about that balance because we have to live in this world without being of it. So here's the deal. We got to confront our enemy in a proper fashion, not in a naive way. So the fear of confronting the enemy has held most believers back from boldly going before the throne regarding the temptations and afflictions of the enemy. James 4, 7 says to resist the limited power, limited power, of the enemy. One must submit therefore to God, then resist the devil, then the devil will flee. Most charismatics take on the devil before they submit to God. Well, to submit to God, you've got to find out what his doctrines and his principles are. You've got to find out what God is asking of you. No, you can't jump over and go, oh, I want to learn how to do this battling spiritual thing. Because I want to scare the enemy away. Well, you don't get this submit therefore to God business down. He's not moving. He is not going to move. There's no fleeing that's going to occur. The book of Ephesians is the New Testament book, handbook actually, that if you really want to get to know what's the root. So as my wife texts me this morning how she's kind of feeling and blah, blah, blah. Well, my impulse is we need to sit down and pray together. One of my greatest weaknesses throughout our whole marriage has been not praying with my wife enough. Can God take this greatest weakness and turn it into one of my greatest strengths? Absolutely. So I even wrote material on this is what I learned from this. But it still becomes a challenge for practicality in my relationships. God just uses it all for the good. Line it up. Sometimes that takes years. 
The believer's emphasis in prayer must be upon a biblical and sound doctrinal approach to this subject. So when a person becomes born again, his or her relationship to everything in the physical, spiritual, mental, emotional world completely changes. After we become born again, our view of this dollar bill must change. If it hasn't, we need to have our salvation checked. Now that is a bold statement. If you find out where a person's heart is by opening up their wallet, looking what's in their wallet, or where they're putting their money for treasures, if that's how you find out where someone's heart is, there's a direct correlation to people who are obsessed by money and call themselves Christians. I do know very, very wealthy, indwelt Christians who have a proper perspective of money. And God will make them richer the more. See, it's not the money. It's what, what is their attitude? When they got born again, did all this, their perspective completely change about money? That's a good question. Since the believer is a citizen of heaven... He is given or she is given the power to face the enemy toe-to-toe. So as I go and grab some of the old pictorials to just use it as an example for you this morning in the power presentation, I've already told you what tagging is, search engine optimization, and words that you put on pictures in order to, you know, get control of that corner of the internet you wouldn't believe the stuff that I found on pages and pages of pictures of dollar bills of who's using the dollar bill to get you to their website it's amazing and it does work these marketing techniques that these ministries are using worldwide they do work have you ever looked at a television evangelist or whatever and you hear numbers that they pull in every year and it's obvious to you they're scammers I mean it's just obvious to you they're scammers and you wouldn't send a single dollar bill to them would you and then why is it there are millions of people sending their life inheritance to these scammers why why would they do that? So there's no indwelling life in them telling them don't. But you walk up to any one of those people who are sending them their inheritance to these, these preachers and they would say, of course I'm a Christian. You see, the determination of the being able to shift spiritually, psychologically, physically even after a born-again experience to be able to view not only the money differently but who's asking for it and what do you want it for. So some, there, there, there's something going on about what Jesus is saying here about this, this view. 
of money. Since the love of money is the root of Satan, I would think this would be Satan's primary venue, arena, to control the entire world. Since the love of money is the root of Satan, because that word translates out as Satan, let's not forget that, evil, then that statement of, well, who controls the money? Well, who's got the subliminals on it? Well, most of the people who study this stuff are considered radical or, you know, conspiracy, conspiracy theory or whatever. I'm going like, okay, you got a microscope? I can scan this on my phone and zoom it and find some of them. But it's so old history nowadays that people don't even dare to step forward and say, oh, you're one of those. And I go, go, go get your dollar bill. Let's get this resolved right now. They don't know what to do with it. Out of sight, out of mind, remember? So, finishing up here, believers have a supernatural wealth, and that's what this is all about. So this supernatural wealth that we have is in Christ Jesus. So Satan wants to develop a kingdom that distracts the indwelt believers, or even those being led to having the indwelling life of Christ, wants to distract them so they never really experience the wealth of Christ, the storehouse of God. So he replicated it on earth to keep the people constantly distracted so that when they have one of these, can you imagine having a $100 bill in your hand? It'd be like, ah. Oh. Okay, see what I'm It does that to people. Instead of going, well, that's a piece of paper, it's got some value, I'm going to have to think that through. That old money burning a hole in your pocket thing. I think the burning part's pretty appropriate. So the truths are ours for claiming the power, position, authority, and total victory over Satan's world, which actually belongs to God the Father. It's important that we learn to pray aggressive biblical prayers for family and friends who we believe are struggling with the bondage of the love of money. My experience as a counselor is those who are in bondage to the love of money can't read a book like this because of the spiritual strongholds it will reveal. Even if you're not one of those, I suggest all readers to consider praying this prayer. It will make reading this book much more enjoyable. Here's our identity statement for today. Listeners, listen carefully, of course. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You will bring grief upon yourself. It will pierce your soul, your heart, with burdens. If you think the next level of attainment, getting one more grain bin, is going to take care of these problems, you will learn when you get to a certain level of wealth that you are being lied to.
Like I wanted to show you earlier, these wealthy people, most come to this conclusion even in a secular position. And it's a biblical principle. So the Lord reveals to us that the thing we love is not only what we serve, but what we find identity in. Those who have a love for money are confessing their identity is in money. This piece of paper has a face in the center of it for a reason. You think it's because of our first president. Pull all the symbols together that are on the dollar bill and they're telling you, they're confessing to you who their God is that they trust. So those who have a love for money are confessing their identity is in money. Since we know that the love of money is the root of all evil, those who love it are wrapped in the identity of Satan. Can I honestly say that I don't love this dollar bill? Yes. I know what it does. Can I say I lose sight and want more of this so that I can be more secure? Uh, yeah. Jenny and I have constantly battled back and forth from if we just had a few more, you know, secure dollars so we're not constantly you you have no idea year after year after year where I have to send out a message to someone to get to some place to minister or to get paper or cartridges for the printer or the it's just like constant and so I fall back on wouldn't it be nice to have a half a million dollars sitting in the ministry savings account by the way that could happen but see I'm being trained. My family's being trained. The donors are being trained. To do you really believe that this is what money's for? And once the Lord has proof in the pudding that I really do believe that's what the money's for, then he could change the game. So he's not against wealthy ministries and those wealth ministry leaders that are listening. That is not what I'm saying. He's actually for prosperity if there's not a love of money mixed in it. So I want to challenge us to not pray this today, but to read it carefully, meditate on it, and see if the Lord would lead you at some point in our series to be able to pray this prayer. And I'm going to close today with reading it to you. This is what I believe we need to pray in order to have a heart changed heart toward money. It reads this way. My dear Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I bring myself before you and ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance that I might pray in the Spirit as you have taught me. I thank you, Father, that you have sovereign control over all my money, or lack of it. I thank you for the level of material possessions that you have placed in my life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a priest of God, I ask for your mercy and forgiveness for the sins of the love of money which grieve you. 
I plead the sufficiency of the blood of Christ to meet the full penalty that my sins deserve. I claim back the ground I have yielded to the enemy in my life, which I have knowingly or unknowingly given to Satan by believing the enemy's deception. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I resist all of Satan's activity to use your money or possessions that you entrusted to me. Exercising my authority, which is given to me in my union with the Lord Jesus Christ, I pull down the strongholds which the kingdom of darkness has formed against me with the love of money. I smash, break, destroy all those plans formed against my mind, will, emotions, and even my wallet. I destroy in prayer the spiritual blindness and deafness that Satan has perpetrated against me. I invite the Holy Spirit of God to bring the fullness of his power to convict, to repentance, and to lead me into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. I cover myself with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I break Satan's power to blind me to the truth of God. I believe that you, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are leading me to claim my freedom in you, and thank you for the answer to my prayer. In the name of Jesus, I joyfully lay this prayer before you in the worthiness of his completed work. And that's the prayer that should be upon our hearts as God challenges us with these 30 principles we're going to start unfolding next week. And they're going to be a bit challenging for some of our listeners. I don't know the exact percentage, but I did a quick calculation on how many of our listeners, and I did this according to their ministries believe in prosperity doctrine and it was a lot so this is going to be a challenge particularly to churches or believers that believe in prosperity doctrines so please listeners take the time to schedule time to listen to each of these 30 principles and pray as you start or you're in the middle or you finish hearing these messages for God to reveal to you what he's actually saying for you. Because identity truly does matter. Thank you online listeners for listening today. We're going to turn the podcast off so that we can go to our local questioning and answering. But if you do have a question that needs an answer, I would certainly be willing to dialogue with you through the scriptures to come up with an answer for you. Please log on to the website address is coming up next. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.